We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Go episode 253 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, February 17th, 2022. Good to have you with us. We are still waiting, anticipating what, if anything, might come from the latest batch of documents that the NFL turned over to Congress in the workplace misconduct scandal for the team now known as as the commanders. You know, it's funny, every day now you wonder if there's some other big reveal that's about to come, if there's some other bombshell that's going to take place. We have been conditioned as fans of this team to expect big reveals and bombshells and not in good ways. Uh, I laugh about that sometimes because I'm like, you know, this isn't normal. Like, this isn't the way that it's supposed to be as a fan of a team, but that is the way that it is with our team, and it has been this way for some time. Well, we on Wednesday did have a major reveal, did have a bombshell regarding our team's biggest rival, the Dallas Cowboys. They now have a workplace misconduct scandal, at least to a certain extent. Next segment, I'm going to talk about what came out on Wednesday regarding the Cowboys, including some interesting parallels with Washington scandal and some, shall we say, pondering over how exactly this Cowboys report got leaked. I have a special guest for you on this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, Samuel Gold, the creator of Sam's Film Room on YouTube. He is close to 96,000 subscribers. He is a fan of the Commanders. You know, we need some X's and O's conversation to cleanse the palate off all of this scandal talk. And so Samuel's going to be with us to discuss the Commanders' search for a franchise quarterback. We're going to talk Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Jimmy Garoppolo, Mitchell Trubisky, Carson Wentz. We will talk drafting quarterbacks. We will talk Commander's defense. Samuel's a smart guy. He understands not just X's and O's, but also the modern way of looking at the NFL. And like I said, he is a fan of the Commander's. So he's invested in what's going on with them. Speaking of being invested, it turns out that Juan Soto, prior to the ongoing MLB lockout, turned down a 13-year, 300 
$50 million contract extension offer with no deferred money from the Nationals. Multiple reports on Wednesday. I have a lot to say about this. I'll give you what I have to say about this coming up. I'll talk Wizards off a 113-108 loss for them at the Indiana Pacers on Wednesday night. And I'll talk Georgetown. The Hoyas, yes, lost again. Uh, They fell to 0-14 in the Big East with a 77-66 loss at Marquette on Wednesday night. Georgetown is having one of the worst seasons that any major team in the Washington, D.C. area has ever had. That is not an exaggeration. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Mike P on the Nationals' Ryan Zimmerman retiring. Writes, Mike, if there is a statue to be made for any Nats player, RZ deserves it. It has my vote. Great career. Such a clutch player. Forever grateful. Uh, Yeah, Ryan Zimmerman was a great Nat. Personally, I'm not a big fan of statues for players. I feel like statues make people into godlike figures, but that's just me. But I am all for the Nats honoring Ryan Zimmerman. Retire his number. Have a Ryan Zimmerman day at Nationals Park. Put him in a Nats Hall of Fame. I think all of those things would be good. By the way, if you're looking for a deep dive on the career of Ryan Zimmerman, uh, check out the latest installment of the other podcast that I do, the Nats Chat Podcast with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. That installment of the podcast is out and you can find the Nats Chat Podcast as you find this podcast. Uh, basically anywhere that you get a podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, etc. Tweet from Mike on Dan Snyder and the momentum for the Commander's Next Stadium being in the state of Virginia. Writes Mike, Snyder contributed to Yunkin, sold his Maryland home, and just bought the most expensive home in area, in Virginia, for $48 million. So yeah, I think the team stadium is going there to Virginia. Just a wild guess. Uh, Yeah, so I on Wednesday's show, episode 252, mentioned that the Virginia Senate on Tuesday passed a bill to create a football stadium authority to sell bonds to pay for building a new stadium and a surrounding campus for the commanders. Uh, There also, yes, is this Dan Snyder house thing. Perhaps you've seen or heard about this, the Washington Business Journal has reported that Dan Snyder last November 1st bought what is the most expensive home ever sold in the DMV area, a $48 million home near George Washington's Mount Vernon in Virginia. The property is 16 and a half acres. We know that this is Dan's home because of campaign finance records of Dan having made a $25,000 donation to Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin's inaugural committee. So yes, Virginia Senate passes a bill to create a football stadium authority. Check. Dan Snyder buys the most expensive home ever sold in the DMV area in buying a $48 million home in Virginia. Check. Dan's a big fan of Virginia's new governor, Glenn Youngkin. Check. Uh, I would say that the state of Virginia is the clubhouse leader right now to be where the commander's next stadium is. And remember, this isn't just about a stadium. Uh, This is about a new facility for the team. This is about where team executives, coaches, and players live and pay taxes. This is about development around the new stadium. There is a lot of money at stake here with the site of the commander's next stadium. 
Uh, email from Steve Mulhern on a potential new owner of the Commanders if Dan Snyder is ousted. Right, Steve? Who are the potential owners who would want to buy the team if Dan is forced to sell the team? I'm getting used to the new name, but hated the way the team announced the name on 2.2.22. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Steve. Yes, uh, no fan was I of how the team announced the name on 2.2.22. Well, the obvious potential next owner of the Commanders would be Jeff Bezos. Uh, His name comes up all of the time. Jeff Bezos, as most of you listening know, has enough money and like his couch cushions to buy an NFL team. Jeff Bezos' real-time worth, as I tape this installment of the Al Galdi podcast, what time is it right now? Let's see, 3.36 a.m. on Thursday. Real-time worth per Forbes, Jeff Bezos. Here we go, 182 billion dollars. Yes, as we are speaking right now on this podcast, Jeff Bezos is worth $182 billion. For comparison's sake, Dan Snyder, as I tape this, is worth $4 billion in terms of his real-time worth per Forbes. I love this real-time worth thing that you can look up on Forbes. Now, there's no guarantee that Jeff Bezos would be a great NFL owner. And, you know, it would be interesting having him own the team while also owning the Washington Post. Talk about controlling the message. But to me, it's like, well, could Jeff Bezos be worse as an NFL owner than Dan Snyder has been? You know, one of my rules is that you should never say that things can't get worse because things can always get worse. But seriously, whatever you think about Jeff Bezos, and I certainly can't stand the hypocrisy of his baby, Amazon, refusing to sell Redskins merchandise while still selling, to this day, Chief Wahoo merchandise for the Cleveland Indians, who aren't even the Cleveland Indians anymore. But could Jeff Bezos possibly be worse than Dan Snyder as owner of our team. Even if you despise Jeff Bezos, could things with him as owner actually be worse than things have been with Dan as owner? But in terms of other potential owners, I mean, there are plenty of other billionaires out there. So you never know who might be interested in buying an NFL team. Something to consider too is this. Now that guys like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning are retired and are filthy rich, Would either of them be interested in leading an ownership group for an NFL team? I don't think that either guy is wealthy enough to buy an NFL team on his own, but each guy could lead an ownership group for an NFL team. I mean, remember Michael Jordan became an NBA owner. Magic Johnson became an MLB owner. Why couldn't a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning become an NFL owner? What if the commanders were owned by a group-led by Tom Brady, or a group led by Peyton Manning, or a group led by both Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. Think about that. Imagine the possibilities. Well, speaking of imagining possibilities, ImageWorks and you can do that and deliver on those possibilities for your business. If you own, run, or work at a business and are looking to be more creative and effective with how you run your business, how you communicate and reach customers, and how you operate digitally, then put ImageWorks to work for you. ImageWorks is a full-service boutique web design branding and marketing company, and ImageWorks right now has a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. ImageWorks has the talent and experience to make sure that you outshine the competition. ImageWorks is an award-winning full-service marketing agency, web design company, and branding firm all in one. 
ImageWorks and you will plan your success strategy, create exceptional brand and web experiences, market your business to your customers, and evolve your brand and website experience. So what's the offer? Well, ImageWorks doesn't want to sell you. ImageWorks wants to show you what it can do. And that starts with a free review of your website and SEO visibility to establish a base of where you are and map a chart for where you want to be. ImageWorks and you will plan with digital web and marketing goals that you can see live via ImageWorks customers portal. The portal shows you how all goals are performing in Google Analytics and how all marketing programs and website visitors are behaving. Also, know that ImageWorks has a complete team of in-house designers, marketers, developers, art directors, strategists, and writers. You could put any or all of them to work for you. So here's what you do. Go to imageworkscreative.com, click on contact near the upper right corner, and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. Take advantage of the free offer. That's image, one word, works, plural, creative.com. Imageworkscreative.com. Click on contact near the upper right corner and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. Imageworkscreative.com, upper right corner, and mention the Al Galdi podcast. Also, you can call or text the owner of Imageworks, Scott, at 703-928-7309. That's 703-928-7309. You can call him. You can text him. Scott's a big fan of all Washington, D.C. area teams. He is a regular listener of this podcast. And Scott loves brainstorming ideas and technology that can help you grow your business. He's a very creative guy. He has been doing what he is doing since 1996. ImageWorks, creative minds focused on one goal, your business success. Up next, how about them Cowboys? I'll discuss a major piece by ESPN that came out on Wednesday and how the piece may be the result of Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. I'll get to that after this. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or that is preventing you from achieving your goals? You or someone you love falling into depression or struggling with anxiety can keep you from what you care about. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You'll be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Now understand, BetterHelp is not a crisis line. BetterHelp is not self-help. BetterHelp is professional therapy done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas, and BetterHelp is available for clients worldwide. BetterHelp is convenient. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist from whom you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as you do with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, and so BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change therapists if needed, and BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. You deserve that. And so here's a special offer. Go to betterhelp.com slash Galdi. That's betterhelp.com slash Galdi, G-A-L-D-I. And join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You'll get 10% off your first month 
at BetterHelp just by going to betterhelp.com slash Galdi. That's betterhelp.com slash Galdi and get 10% off your first month. So many people have been helped by the great therapist at BetterHelp. How about this from a client on a therapist named Mary Allen? Quote, since I've worked with Mary, I've seen so many positive changes in daily life. I always look forward to our conversations because I feel so supported and Mary always has great ideas and solutions for me. End quote. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that BetterHelp is actually recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Look, we all know people who have struggled with mental health. Perhaps you yourself have struggled with mental health. There's no shame. Those days are done. So many athletes have dealt with mental health difficulties. Take control of your mental health. You deserve to be happy. Go to betterhelp.com slash Galdi. That's betterhelp.com slash Galdi. Well, you are perhaps familiar with the phrase, misery loves company. Well, if the Washington workplace misconduct scandal is misery, then it now has a company. Uh, It's funny how the team, now known as the commanders in the team that is and always has been, the Dallas Cowboys, have been linked for years. Redskins-Cowboys, of course, one of the great rivalries in NFL history. Salary cap gate in 2012 featured two teams, the Skins and Cowboys, being penalized. And now as we have the Washington workplace misconduct scandal, we have a Cowboys workplace misconduct scandal. Although this Cowboys scandal, at least for now, isn't close to being on the same level as Washington's scandal is. So ESPN senior writer Don Van Nata Jr. in a piece that came out on Wednesday reported that the Cowboys had paid a confidential settlement of point. Four million dollars after four members of their cheerleading team had accused Richard Dalrymple, the Cowboys' longtime senior vice president for public relations and communications, of voyeurism. Yes, voyeurism, aka this guy, Richard Dalrymple, allegedly is a peeping Tom. This guy, Richard Dalrymple, allegedly is a perv. As Jimmy Johnson said many years ago, how about them Cowboys? How about them Cowboys? Yes, Jimmy, exactly. How about them Cowboys? So this alleged voyeurism from Richard Dalrymple happened at a 2015 event at AT AT&T Stadium, a.k.a. Jerry World. Uh, Each of the four members of the Cowboys cheerleading team involved in the alleged incident received $399,523.27 after the incident. Yes, you have to have the 27 cents included uh, in that figure. According to the piece, quote, one of the cheerleaders alleged that she clearly saw Richard Dalrymple standing behind a partial wall in their locker room with his iPhone extended toward them while they were changing their clothes, according to several people with knowledge of the events and letters later sent by attorneys for the cheerleaders to the team. Dalrymple gained entry to the back door of the cheerleaders' locked dressing room by using a security key card, end quote. But also, according to this piece, is something else that Richard Dalrymple allegedly did. Take upskirt photos. Yes, you heard that right. Take upskirt photos. 
And it's not just that Dalrymple allegedly took upskirt photos. It's of whom Dalrymple allegedly took upskirt photos. Jerry Jones' daughter. Once again, as Jimmy Johnson once said, how about them Cowboys? How about them Cowboys? Yes, Jimmy. How about them Cowboys? Richard Dalrymple, according to this piece, allegedly took upskirt photos of Charlotte Jones Anderson, a team senior vice president, and the daughter of Cowboys owner, president, and general manager, Jerry Jones. This in the Cowboys war room during the 2015 NFL draft. And how about this? The allegation remarkably came from a fan. Yes, a fan who signed an affidavit that he was watching a live stream of the war room on the team's website when he said he saw the alleged incident. So here you have the Cowboys live streaming their war room for the 2015 NFL Draft, and a fan sees Richard Dalrymple allegedly taking upskirt photos of Jerry Jones' daughter, Charlotte Jones Anderson. You couldn't make this up if you wanted to make this up. Now, Richard Dalrymple denied all of the allegations via a statement on Monday night. Quote, people who know me, co-workers, the media, and colleagues, know who I am and what I'm about. I understand the very serious nature of these claims and do not take them lightly. The accusations are, however, false. One was accidental and the other simply did not happen. Everything that was alleged was thoroughly investigated years ago and I cooperated fully. And quote, okay, as I like to say, just because you are accused of something does not make you guilty of that something. It's very dangerous to just assume every time you hear of someone allegedly having done something that you just assume that that someone did that's something. Uh, according to the piece, quote, a Cowboys representative said the team thoroughly investigated both alleged incidents and found no wrongdoing by Dalrymple and no evidence that he took photos or video of the women. And quote, okay. However, the piece also says that the Cowboys issued Dalrymple a formal written warning in October 2015. So that's something. Also, there's this. Richard Dalrymple earlier this month abruptly retired, and he did so with no fanfare, despite having served as chief spokesman and confidant for Cowboys owner, president, and general manager Jerry Jones for 32 years. Understand, Richard Dalrymple was Jerry Jones' right-hand man. Dalrymple out of nowhere retired earlier this month. And the Cowboys didn't do anything for him. It was like a hush-hush kind of thing. It was something that like nobody wanted to talk about. And when you hear that, a longtime employee of an organization retiring just as a workplace misconduct scandal is about to break, what does that remind you of? Because that reminds me of the voice of the Redskins, Larry Michael, retiring out of nowhere in 2020, shortly before Washington's workplace misconduct scandal broke. According to the piece, Dalrymple's, quote, retirement came several weeks after ESPN began interviewing people about the alleged incidents and just days after ESPN contacted attorneys involved in the settlement, end quote. There's also this, and tell me if this sounds familiar. The piece added that a signed copy of a May 2016 settlement agreement obtained 
by ESPN included a non-disclosure agreement in which the four women, three of their spouses, and Cowboys officials agreed to never speak publicly about their allegations. So non-disclosure agreements, NDAs, those have come up a lot in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal, and an NDA is a thing in this Cowboys scandal. Look, we in no way can say that this Cowboys scandal is as big of a deal as Washington's scandal, all right? I mean, if any fan base knows workplace misconduct scandal, it is the fan base of the team now known as the Commanders. So you can't say that this Cowboys scandal is just as big as the Washington scandal. Uh, not yet, anyway. Uh, but this piece by Don Van Nata Jr., who, by the way, has a really good reputation, is pretty serious. Here's what I wonder. Could it be that the Washington workplace misconduct scandal leads to workplace misconduct scandals for other teams? Like, I've never thought, and I'm sure that you've never thought, that the Redskins were the only sports team at which this workplace misconduct scandal stuff took place. Now, things may well have been especially bad with the Skins, but there's no way they were the only team with this problem. And so could it be that the victims in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal coming forward and now Congress being involved in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal compel others to come forward and also compel media outlets to do more digging? Because that's a big part of this too, the media. Remember what launched Washington's workplace misconduct scandal, the reporting of the Washington Post. The start of Washington's workplace misconduct scandal was that initial expose by the Washington Post on the scandal in July 2020. Have other media outlets, of having seen what the Post has done, devoted resources to looking into workplace misconduct with teams? Because if so, there's a whole lot that could be coming out. Uh, if you remember the Me Too movement, what really made the Me Too movement a thing was the Harvey Weinstein scandal. And that scandal led to many other scandals. There's also this to think about. Is it possible that Dan Snyder leaked this Cowboys workplace misconduct scandal? I mean, I'm totally speculating here. But if you're Dan Snyder and you're angry that the NFL has started to turn on you in your workplace misconduct scandal. And you understand that the NFL truly is run by NFL owners. And you understand that arguably the most powerful owner in the NFL is Cowboys owner, Jerry Jones. Might you start leaking to say an outlet as mighty as ESPN that a flagship NFL team in the Cowboys also has had workplace misconduct issues. Like, is that really that implausible that Danny knew about this Cowboys issue, kept it in his back pocket for years, and now has played that card as Danny is going scorched earth? I mean, if Danny is going to go scorched earth with the NFL turning on him, why not start going scorched earth now? Don't go scorched earth once you are ousted as owner of the Commanders. Go scorched earth prior to you being ousted as owner of the Commanders so that you are not ousted as owner of the Commanders. Something to think about. There are multiple ways in which Washington's workplace misconduct scandal could lead to other teams' workplace misconduct scandals. Who knows if that's the case with this Cowboys situation, but this is a situation, major report, 
from ESPN on Wednesday. Up next, a special guest, Samuel Gold, the creator of Sam's Film Room on YouTube. He has close to 96,000 subscribers. He is a fan of the Commanders, and he's going to give us X's and O's perspectives on a number of the potential quarterback targets for our franchise quarterback needy Commanders this offseason, including Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Jimmy Garoppolo, Mitchell Trubisky, and Carson Wentz. We'll also talk drafting quarterbacks, and we'll discuss the commander's defense. High-level commander's conversation is straight ahead. All right, my friends, I want to tell you about something special, a great, easy, and affordable way to have your meals. HelloFresh. HelloFresh is great. Uh, With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. This is why HomeFresh is America's number one meal kit. And HelloFresh is offering something really special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. More on that shortly. But if you want to eat healthy or at least eat healthier, uh, you want to eat food that tastes great and you don't have time to be making trips to buy food and coming up with complicated recipes, you got to try HelloFresh. We tried HelloFresh and loved it. Uh, I got a HelloFresh box that was heavy on meat. We cooked up some great ground beef and delicious pork, had tostadas. They were excellent. My wife followed the detailed recipe that HelloFresh provided, in addition to all of the ingredients that we needed. And my four-year-old son loved the food. And trust me, that's big because he's impossible to please, okay? He's a major diva. He's worse than his father. Uh, HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients right to your door, including farm-fresh produce that arrives within a week, so you get convenience without skimping on quality. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items from which to choose each week, including veggie, calorie-smart, family-friendly, and gourmet options, providing plenty of variety, and HelloFresh offers flexibility with which you can customize your order. And HelloFresh will save you money. A HelloFresh meal, on average, is 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality, and you can save, on average, over $65 a month by ordering HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping. So here's what you do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16 and use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16 and use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16 and use that code Galdi16 for the special offer. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's talk commanders from a football standpoint. And I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast a special guest. He is Samuel Gold, the creator of Sam's Film Room on YouTube. He has close to 96,000 subscribers. He is a fan of the commanders. He has served as a film analyst for the Athletic Seattle. So he's a particularly good person with whom to talk about Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson. You can follow Samuel on Twitter at Samuel R. Gold. Samuel, it's nice to talk to you again. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing well, man. Uh, Appreciate you coming back on. So Sam's Film Room on YouTube deals with the entire NFL, but I know that you're a fan of the Commanders, and so I wanted to get your thoughts on the team as the NFL offseason now is truly underway. So we all as fans of the Commanders are consumed with the quarterback thing. Uh, Ron Rivera has made it no secret that the team is all in on trying to get a franchise quarterback this offseason. As you think about the quarterback landscape, in terms of realistic potential trades, free agency, and the 2022 NFL draft. What to you would be the best approach for our commanders at quarterback this offseason? Uh, yeah, it's a great question and I feel like is going to be kind of defining for what the team will <clears throat> will look like in the next couple of years. Um, I know by all reports, right, Ron Rivera said that they're going to go after, they're going to go pretty hard for a quarterback. Um, and frankly, I'm I'm on the same page in terms of that's what I would want them to do too. Uh, for example, if my number one quarterback would be honestly Aaron Rodgers, if they could, if if Aaron Rodgers is actually available, even for multiple first round picks, even if you have to send over Deron Payne or Montez Sweat or anybody else, uh, maybe outside of Chase Young, uh, I'm all for it. I would be a hundred percent down just because he's the type of quarterback that could actually lift your franchise and deliver. So many wins above replacement. Basically, he just he elevates everyone else, right? So I would say Aaron Rodgers would be my number one choice. Um, number two uh, would actually be Russell Wilson. Um, as, and as you mentioned at the start, uh, I wrote for the Athletic Seattle for a couple of seasons. Um, I, and I still follow them pretty closely, doing videos on them on my channel. And the one thing that you have to understand with Russell Wilson is that this was a down year, uh, but he still played relatively well overall so like in the first five to six weeks before his injury he was actually at the top in pretty much every advanced stat uh he actually looked pretty good in the first five or six seasons or sorry first five or six weeks and then he got that thumb injury or finger injury and basically the rest of the season he was pretty much crap he was bad he was he rushed too too quickly back into uh the field and he just didn't look the same in terms of how he was going through his reads, his confidence in the pocket, uh, and and he just he just didn't honestly look the same. Uh, whether or not that's like a mental thing, I've, I have no idea. Uh, but there were there were plays against, for example, in the first week he came back against the Green Bay Packers, where he had a wide receiver wide open by the sideline, uh, and that was his first read. It was DK Metcalf, and he wouldn't throw it. There was little things like that where uh, there were definitely curious, and that's something that. You just don't see very often with him, but we saw it more last season. Um, so I, I think there's this narrative that people are are taking these bad traits or these bad instances and assuming that that's just the new norm for Russell Wilson. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't believe that's the case. 
Um, whether or not Seattle wants to trade him, I guess, is the other, the, the, the other story. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the Green Bay Packers do not appear likely to be trading Aaron Rodgers. It seems more possible that the Seattle Seahawks would trade Russell Wilson, but that would have to come from him as he has a no-trade clause. He does seem to be flirting with other teams, but that may be as far as things go there. Neither guy appears likely to be traded. Uh, what about the Houston Texans' Deshaun Watson? Uh, if his legal situation was somehow resolved, would there be any football reasons for the commanders to not give up whatever it would take to trade for Watson? Yeah, from purely from a football standpoint, uh, I, I love how he plays the game. Uh, he's an accurate quarterback. He extends plays well. Uh, he can see the full field. It's He has all the qualities you look for in a franchise quarterback. And one of the videos I did, you know, pretty much <laughs> right before all the instances, um, all the incidents came out, uh, was that he was a top five quarterback in the NFL. And I, I truly do believe that. Um, if that was all cleared, if, if there was some way that the public didn't hate him and, and, you know, and all these factors lined up and, um, then I would have no problem. I would have no problem trading the farm for him just because he's that talented. But, uh, again, it's, all those other factors are obviously way more important than football at this point. Yeah, those things are things for sure. So, okay, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and Deshaun Watson, those guys are the three dream scenarios for the commander's offseason pursuit of a franchise quarterback. But all three guys would appear to be unlikely for various reasons. In terms of quarterbacks already in the NFL, that leaves us with a bunch of second and third-tier quarterback options. I want to get your opinions on some of these guys. Uh, San Francisco 49ers quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, who we do know the 49ers will be trading. Uh, what's your take on him? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boldly claim I don't want him. Uh, unless he's uh, dirt cheap in terms of, of trading, in terms of, uh, you know, they'll take like a fifth rounder or a fourth rounder, which I just, I don't see that being the case. I really do not want Jimmy Garoppolo. And it's, and it's not that I dislike him or, or, or that, you know, or, or that I don't think he's had his moments or had his games. It's just that I think we've seen his upside, right? I, th- I think, I think we've already gone to this point where we had that experiment of where we traded for this average vet in the name of Alex Smith. And from there, we didn't really like, obviously the injury to Alex Smith was, was bad and all that. And we were looking decent when he was there. Um, but I feel like there's no upside when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo. And it's the same way I feel about when we traded for Alex Smith. What is the next move from that? If you trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, it means that you're probably drafting a quarterback within the next season or two to develop. And then that means you're still three, four years away from actually having upside to win. I feel like, I feel like unless you have a stacked team like the Rams and then you grab your quarterback, uh, which the Washington is nowhere near that level. Uh, I don't, I don't like that strategy at all. So I'm, I'm either in the opinion you either, you either swing for the fences for one of those big, one of those big names that we talked about, um, or, uh, you just dip back into the draft. Um, and at this point, I haven't really looked at any of the NFL draft prospects yet, but I just, I do not like the idea of a, of a, of a mid-tier level quarterback. I just, I just, it just, it just, it seems pointless to me from a team building standpoint. Yeah, I'm with you on that. What about Buffalo Bills quarterback Mitchell Trubisky? He's set to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. He's an interesting guy in that Washington has been linked to Trubisky multiple times. Washington was connected to Trubisky last offseason and then again prior to the trade deadline this past season. Is there legit reason for the commanders to be interested in signing Trubisky? 
as a as a backup, that's the only way I I, I want him on the team. I I I I. Um, I would rather have Jimmy Garoppolo than Mitch Trubisky. And I already said how much I do not want Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> I think, yeah, Mitch Trubisky, I think he's proven he's bad. I mean, it's, it's to me, it's I would, like we have, we have, we have Taylor Heineke at that point. It's what's the difference between Mitch Trubisky and Taylor Heineke. Like I just, to me, it's, yeah, you have, you have a high quality backup and, that, and that's all, that's, that's all, that's all there is. And, and for me, for me, quarterback is all about upside. And at that point, I just, I just cannot see the point of, of going after him or, and conceivably saying he's compete or he's going to start. I just, to me, I'm just going to be disappointed. One more for you. And this guy has demonstrated upside. Indianapolis Colts quarterback Carson Wentz. He could be traded or released by the Colts this offseason. Uh, to me, the Colts potentially moving on from Wentz after just one season with the team. Major red flag. Bud, would Wentz at all make sense for the Commanders? <laughs> um. He's he's well, he's one more guy I, I put in that same that same bucket. Uh, I think I think the funny part was we all we all had this debate over Dak Prescott versus Carson Wentz, and I I think it's I think it's really funny how that kind of turned out. Uh, outside of Wentz's what 2017 season where he almost won that MVP or 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 he he was he looked he looked great for two thirds of the season and then got injured. Uh, he just hasn't really looked the same. And even if you look back at that time, uh, the play calling was incredible. All the, like every wide receiver was open. He did make some excellent throws. And Carson Wentz has always shown that he's had his top 10 moments in some games and bottom 10 moments in others. Uh, to me, I just, I see, I view him as your, as your middle of the pack, top 16, top 20, or maybe top 20 ish quarterback. Uh, that's a going to be too expensive, and and b I I just I th- I th- I think the story's kind of told on him at the same level as Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm just I'm kind I'm I'm kind of done with it. We're talking Commanders with Samuel Gold. He is the creator of Sam's Film Room on YouTube. He has close to ninety six thousand subscribers. So. Like you, I want upside for the commanders at quarterback. Personally, I'm not convinced that any of these third or even second-tier veteran quarterback options would be better than Taylor Heineke. And so that brings us to the 2022 NFL Draft. It has been said that the commanders taking a quarterback in the NFL Draft, even in the first round, would mean that the team still would be multiple seasons away from truly being good. But to me, these days, you know sooner rather than later whether a quarterback taken in the first round of a draft is going to work out. Generally speaking, when it comes to quarterbacks taken in first rounds of NFL drafts, is it fair to say that you should know within a season or two whether the guy is going to be a hit? Yeah, I, I think it's a really good question. And I feel like anybody I feel like anybody who kind of answers that question, they always point to an exception or one of those extreme outlier cases. And the prime example is always Josh Allen. He looked awful his first year. He looked awful again his second year, and his third year he looked amazing. And like, and, and, he, and he's looked amazing for last year and this year. And what I think he's in his fourth year right now. Um, I think he is the extreme outlier of, of of that case where if you don't look good by the end of your second year, there isn't a ton of hope in terms of your ability to turn into a top five to top seven quarterback. And in my opinion, that's what you need to get to the Super Bowl, unless you have some all-star team building ability um, or you just, you know, you go for broke and, and, and you win it all in, in, in one year by trading for everybody. Um, so I, I, I do agree with that, that you have to see some extreme upside by basically the end of the, se- of the end of the second season. 
that means that going from year one to year two, you see some some development. You see basically them putting it, starting to put it all together. Uh, and at that point, if if you haven't seen enough by the by even halfway through the third season, uh, which is basically what into the third into the fourth season, that's when you have to decide on the the fifth year the fifth year option. I think that's kind of the point where you can kind of make your kind of make your choice. But I do I do agree that it, it, it probably takes about two to three seasons to figure it out. But unless you see something by the end of year two, um, I just do not see um, there there aren't a ton of cases of them completely turning around and turning into that elite franchise quarterback that we're all looking for. When it comes to evaluating quarterbacks in NFL drafts, how important is mobility? Like, to what extent should a Malik Willis be upgraded because of his mobility? To what extent should a Carson Strong be downgraded because of his lack of mobility? Yeah, see, I put a lot of value, uh, not necessarily purely on the mobility, uh, but more on the ability to um, extend and create plays. Uh, for example, uh, Matt Jones is the uh, pure example of the exception to this rule in that he is he was amazing in the pocket for Alabama, and they had an amazing pocket at Alabama. Um, and Matt Jones has kind of kind of shown us that even though he's not going to be running for five hundred or a thousand or a thousand yards or or whatever metric we're kind of using nowadays, uh, that he he can kind of break that mold. I just don't really see a ton of quarterbacks that have that. You know, like I, th- I think that that trait is more rare than it is kind of commonplace, especially kind of modern era of, of college football in the NFL. So in my opinion, I think a lot of it comes down to uh, the ability to improvise and the ability to extend to create bigger plays. Um, so for example, uh, Malik Willis, uh, I, the way I see it is that it's upside, that, that he is the definition of upside, even though he has a lot of things to work on. His, uh, I think it was the game against um, Ole Miss. Uh, that was an ideal game to show what he can do um, against a reasonable defense um, with, Ole, uh, with Ole Miss's defense. Um, and he didn't really look that good. Um, granted, the rest of his team was also got completely destroyed in all in all avenues. Like his offensive line was destroyed. His wide receivers were covered like left and right. Uh, but he himself didn't look good. And some of his throws were kind of basic to the point of uh, they were easily able to be defended and, and picked off. Um, so with 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 a guy like Malik Willis, it's to me you're playing the upside potential card. Um, and honestly, I'm I'm at this point where I kind of want that because I think I think we've been traditionally too safe um, in terms of our picks. Um, and even though everybody will look at the RG three pick and the amount of risk we did, I think at the right I think at that moment that was the right decision. Um, and I kind of, I kind of think we need to do something like that again in order to have the chance to at least have one of those top five, top seven quarterbacks. Let's talk Commanders defense. Your latest video on Sam's film room on YouTube is a terrific look at the performance of Aaron Donald for the Los Angeles Rams in Super Bowl Fifty Six. I tell you, it was hard to watch Donald on Sunday night and not think about all of the Commanders defensive linemen and the disappointing season that the Commanders defense ended up having. Now, the defense was better in the second half of the season, and Jonathan Allen certainly had a great season. But where are you overall on the Commanders defense moving forward? Are you bullish, or do you have real concerns off what we saw for a good chunk of this past season? I'm I'm bullish, actually. I think I think Chase Young. I know we talked about Chase Young and his ability to create sacks uh, the last time I was on here. Um, I, I, I'm I'm bullish overall. 
Um, I think Jamin Davis will look better over time. I think the defensive line will, will play better and actually will play up to their abilities. Um, I do think we need some quarterback help um, overall. Um, I'm overall bullish in terms of where the defense is currently. Um, and even though they very underperformed last year, I think the talent, I think the scheme, I think the coaching, I think it's pretty much all there. I, I, I just, I feel like it's a, um, I think, I think we're at this point where <clears throat> we need some, I, I don't want to say we need some hope to bring everyone together, but I, f- I feel like we need some, uh, some, something, uh, extraordinary for, for one or these, one or two of these guys to have an absurd season, kind of like how Jonathan Allen is the only one this year. Um, I, we, we need, we need that from one or two more guys. And then, then I think we'll, we'll be back. You mentioned the coaching. As I'm sure you know, there are many Commanders fans who are down on defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio. I personally like Jack Del Rio as a defensive coordinator. I do concede that the 2021 season for him was not a banner season, but I take it that you feel comfortable with the Commanders moving forward with Jack Del Rio as their defensive coordinator. Yeah, I would, I would, I would, I would run him another season. Uh, I'm at this point where I, I think this year was kind of a fluke, especially after um, how much we overperformed uh, the year before. It's basically being more consistent um, and being able to uh, execute your assignments well. Uh, but I, I, I still think that he's uh, I, 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 th- I think he I think it's reasonable to say he should be on the seat. So as I've said, you are a fan of the commanders. How are you feeling going into year three of the Ron Rivera era? I think uh, I th- overall, I think if you exclude the quarterback position, I, I don't think we're in a terrible state. <clears throat> Our offensive line is, is, is usually pretty good. I, th- I think if Curtis Samuels can be healthy, we have two good wide receivers. I think if Logan uh, Paulson comes back, or sorry, Logan Thomas comes back, then, then I think we have we have a tight end that's that's pretty good in the, that short intermediate area. Um, we have an elite defensive line. Um, our linebackers need help. Um, they just need to play better also. And, our, and, our, and I think our cornerbacks need help too. Uh, but overall, I don't think we're in a bad state in terms of pure overall talent, or at least as much as what people want to believe about the team. I do think, however, that if we do not swing hard for a quarterback, then to me, I'm at this point where I think it'll be another wasted season. Uh, just like this year when I thought they should have swung hard for Justin Fields. And at least that way, we could have had a development year to see see where see what he's doing and where and where he's at. Good stuff. Samuel Gold, the creator of Sam's Film Room on YouTube. He has close to 96,000 subscribers. Really good content in terms of breaking down the NFL from an X's and O's perspective. You can follow Samuel on Twitter at Samuel R. Gold. Samuel, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. I enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, of course. And uh, gl- glad to be on. So we on Tuesday had Mr. National Ryan Zimmerman announcing his retirement. We on Wednesday had news regarding the Nats' best player, Juan Soto. Uh, Multiple reports that Soto, prior to the MLB lockout, which started on December 2nd, turned down a 13-year, $350 million contract extension offer with no deferred money from the Nats. Uh, This is a significant development, though not necessarily a surprising development 
in the Juan Soto contract situation for the Nats. And in case you have any doubts about the reporting on this, the report that broke the news, a report from ESPN MLB insider Enrique Rojas in Spanish, featured confirmation from Soto of him having turned down the extension offer from the Nats. Uh, There's a lot to talk about with this rejected offer. So first of all, I am glad that the Nats at least extended a contract extension offer to Juan Soto this offseason. Soto isn't due to be a free agent until after the 2024 season, so he's under team control for three more seasons, the 2022, 2023, and 2024 seasons. It's not like he's about to be a free agent after this next MLB season, whenever it actually begins. But as you likely know, you can't wait until a superstar player is in his contract year to offer that player a contract extension. You have to be aggressive. You have to offer a superstar player who you want to keep a lot of money, more money than you're perhaps comfortable offering. And you have to offer the money years before the guy hits free agency. Otherwise, you risk the guy going to the open market. And the open market is almost always more lucrative than signing a contract extension with your team because the open market is, well, open. Uh, Teams can bid against each other. If you're just negotiating a contract extension with your team, then that team is only bidding against itself. The Juan Soto contract situation is a particularly difficult contract situation. A, he's a spectacular player. B, he's extremely young. The 2022 season will be just Soto's age 23 season. And C, his agent is Scott Boris, who is maybe the greatest player agent in sports history. So it's good that the Nats at least extended an offer to Soto this offseason. It's also good that there was no deferred money in this offer. I have said if the Nats are going to try to lock up Juan Soto via a contract extension, the Nats have got to come correct and they cannot play their reindeer games, i.e. they cannot do the deferred money thing that we all know the Nats love to do. The learners are notorious for including deferred money in contracts. Anyone who's a Nats fan knows this. Now, some players are okay with deferred money. For instance, Max Scherzer was okay with deferred money. The free agent contract that Max signed with the Nats, the 70-year, $210 million contract that he signed with the Nats in January 2015, that contract featured a good bit of deferred money. But other guys do not like deferred money. Uh, Anthony Rendon would be an example of a player who didn't love the learners loving deferred money. Rendon signed a free agent contract with the Los Angeles Angels in December 2019, a 70-year, $245 million contract with zero deferred money. Barry's Verluga of the Washington Post on September 30th, 2019, reported that the Nats had offered Rendon a 70-year contract in the range of $210 million to $215 million. Verluga said that the offer was made in early September 2019. And the proposal included a decent amount of deferred money. And my co-host on the Nats Chat podcast, Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com, he on December 11th, 2019, reported that the deferred money was a sticking point for Rendon with the Nats per a source. So thumbs up on the learners making a big boy offer to Juan Soto. Thumbs up on the offer not including and he deferred money. All of that said, the offer wasn't good enough. And I don't say that just because Soto turned down the offer. I say that because in order to get Soto to sign a contract extension, the Nats are going to have to overwhelm him with an offer. 
and a 13-year, $350 million contract extension offer with no deferred money, while nice, very nice, and while an absurd amount of money to you and me, is not an overwhelming offer in terms of locking up a generational talent in Juan Soto as he gets closer to free agency. The largest contract extension in MLB history is the Mookie Betts extension. The Los Angeles Dodgers in July 2020 signed outfielder Mookie Betts to a 12-year, $365 million contract extension. To get Juan Soto to sign an extension, the Nats are going to have to at least top the Betts extension and likely go well beyond it. Betts got 12 years, $365 million in July 2020. The Nats offered Soto 13 years, $350 million in presumably November 2021. Not good enough. And I say that with all due respect to the offer. That was a legit offer. That was a big boy offer, but that was not a good enough offer. The San Diego Padres in February 2021 signed shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. to a 14-year, $340 million contract extension that included a no-trade clause, no opt-out clauses, and no deferred money. The average annual value AAV of the Tatis extension is $24.29 million. The AAV of the Nats offer to Soto is $26.92 million. So higher AAV in the Soto offer than in the Tatis extension. Again, the Nats offered Soto a legit offer, but the offer was not an overwhelming offer. The offer was not, shall we say, a Godfather offer. The greatest movie of all time is, of course, The Godfather. Uh, one of the many great scenes in The Godfather is when The Godfather, Don Corleone, not Don Ron, but Don Corleone, is talking with a family friend, actor Johnny Fontaine. Johnny Fontaine wants a part in a movie, but he's not getting the part. And so he goes to Don Corleone, and Don Corleone says the following. You look terrible. Once a day. Once you to rest well in a month from now, this Hollywood big shot's going to give you what you want. It's too late. They start shooting in a week. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Yeah, very simple. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. And if you are familiar with the movie The Godfather, you know what that offer ended up being. The severed head of a horse in the movie guy's bed. Anyway, that's what the learners need to do with Juan Soto. Not put a severed horse head in Juan Soto's bed, but make Juan Soto an offer that he can't refuse. He can refuse a 13-year, $350 million contract extension offer, especially given that Scott Boris is Soto's agent. What Soto probably couldn't refuse is, say, a 13-year, $400 million offer. I really do think that a contract extension for Soto is going to have to start with a four, not a three. And look, if the learners don't want to give Soto that kind of money, okay, fine. I actually can understand that. I may be in the minority in saying that, but the history of mega money contracts in baseball is awful. For every one mega money contract that works out, it feels like there are 10 mega money contracts that don't work out. See the Steven Strasburg contract, which right now is the worst contract in baseball. The Nats in December 2019 re-signed Strasburg to a seven-year, $245 million deal. He, over the first two seasons of that contract, 
has made just seven regular season starts, has totaled just 26 and two-thirds regular season innings, and now is coming off surgery to correct thoracic outlet syndrome, which has been basically a death sentence for pitchers. So I get the learners potentially not wanting to pay Juan Soto $400 million. However, if the learners don't truly want to pay what it's going to take to extend Soto, then the learners need to understand two things. Number one, Soto is likely as good as gone because him hitting the open market would likely mean him signing with another team. And number two, given that Soto likely is as good as gone, the learners would need to be okay with Mike Rizzo trading Juan Soto sometime over the next two years. You know, the inconvenient truth, the uncomfortable truth for the Nats is that off the fire sale of last late July, Soto could be the next big name Nat to be traded. You know, now you wouldn't have to do that this season necessarily, but off the Nats having traded away the likes of Max Scherzer and Trey Turner last late July, Juan Soto could be the next big name Nat to be traded. We could sooner rather than later be having Juan Soto trade conversations on this podcast. We're not there yet, though. We're not there yet, but we could be there sooner than people realize. So if the learners are okay with these things, then fine. Don't make Juan Soto the godfather offer. And I do think that there's an argument to not make Soto the godfather offer. I do. You could argue that no team should pay any player $300-plus given the really bad history of mega money contracts. I mean, personally, I think that what the Tampa Bay Rays do is brilliant. The Rays pay nobody. The Rays trade everybody. But the Rays draft and develop well enough. The Rays are into analytics deeply enough to where the Rays routinely have 90-win regular seasons and make postseasons. Honestly, it doesn't matter if the Nats ultimately keep Juan Soto if the Nats don't get better at drafting and developing. Juan Soto is one player. He can only do so much. Soto had a great 2021 regular season, and it only meant so much, right? The Nats ended up going to 65 and 97. Now, personally, I would make Juan Soto the godfather offer because I think that he has a great chance of being one of the rare players whose mega money contract does work out. And Soto's young enough to wear a 13-year contract doesn't mean that you'll be paying him monster money as he's closing in on 40. One of the reasons so many of these mega money contracts don't work out is that so often teams are paying guys big money deep into their 30s. A 13-year contract now for Soto would mean that you're only paying him through his age 35 season. Uh, I also want to say this. I think that it's notable that this Nats contract extension offer for Juan Soto got leaked. And I totally think that the leak came from the Nats. Uh, the Nats want that they made this offer to Soto out there. The Nats having made this offer being out there benefits the Nats. When you're trying to figure out who leaked something, always ask yourself that question. Who benefits from what has been leaked? In this instance, the Nats benefit from what has been leaked. Fans see that the Nats are trying to keep Juan Soto. Fans perhaps even sympathize with the Nats to a certain extent, given that the Nats have made Juan Soto an offer that to most people sounds gargantuan, right? A 13-year, $350 million contract extension offer. Maybe this coming out makes Juan Soto and Scott Boris come off as the bad guys 
at least to a certain degree. So I actually don't blame the Nats for leaking this, but uh, understand that the Nats almost certainly leaked this and understand that the offer, while very nice, wasn't good enough. And the Nats likely knew that when they made that offer. Well, the NBA All-Star break is coming up. NBA All-Star weekend is this weekend in Cleveland. The Wizards are playing back-to-back games on Wednesday night and Thursday night to conclude the team's pre-All-Star break portion of the season. What has been a bad pre-All-Star break portion of the season, despite a terrific start and the losing for our Wizards continued on Wednesday night. Now, if you're like me and you're a Wizards fan who doesn't want the team to make the playoffs this season at this point, because making the playoffs would only hurt the Wizards in the 2022 NBA draft, and the Wizards would almost certainly do nothing of true consequence in the playoffs, then you don't mind what happened on Wednesday night. But if you're actually rooting for the Wizards to win games, uh, then Wednesday night bothers you. Uh, The Wizards fell to 26-31 and with a 113-108 loss at the Indiana Pacers on Wednesday night. The Wizards lost for the 10th time in 13 games. The Wizards fell to just 16 and 28 since their 10 and 3 started to the season. Now, the Wizards right now are missing a lot of guys. Chris uh, Stamps Porzingis still has not played for the Wizards. He on Wednesday night did not play for a third consecutive game as a Wizard due to a right knee bone bruise. Rui Hachimura did not play on Wednesday night. He was out due to a right ankle sprain that he suffered in the Wizards' previous game, the 103-94 win over the Detroit Pistons at Capital One Arena on Monday night. Daniel Gafford did not play again. Uh, He now has missed five consecutive games off having been in the NBA's health and safety protocols. And Bradley Beal is out for the rest of the regular season due to a torn ligament in his left wrist on which he underwent surgery last Thursday. However, it's important to understand who the Wizards were playing on Wednesday night. The Wizards on Wednesday night lost at a Pacers team that came into the game just 19-40 and this season. Yet the Pacers are not good this season, and the Pacers right now are without a really good player, Virginia product Malcolm Brogdon, due to a sore right Achilles. Uh, The Wizards trailed for the entire second half on Wednesday night. They did trim a 13-point third-quarter deficit to a one-point fourth-quarter deficit, but That was as close as the Wizards got in the second half. Very strange game for the Wizards defensively. On the one hand, the Wizards held the Pacers to just 4 of 20 on threes. You love that. But on the other hand, the Wizards allowed the Pacers to go 37 of 52 in the paint and got outscored in the paint 74-36. Yeah, the Wizards on Wednesday night got outscored in the paint by 30 eight points. The Wizards are missing some key bigs right now, right? No Chris Dams Porzingis, no Daniel Gafford. You can throw Rui Hachimura into that mix as well. And it's not like the Wizards paint defense is sparkling to begin with, even when everyone is healthy. But man, you get outscored in the paint on Wednesday night, 74-36. Thomas Bryant's defense in the paint is a rumor, people. Uh, The Wizards allowed Tristan Thompson in just 20 minutes, 47 seconds off the bench to go 8 of 9 from the field, all twos, and finish with 17 points and 6 rebounds. Also, the Wizards allow the Pacers to attempt 29 free throws to the Wizards' 16, although the Pacers went just 19 
of 29 on free throws. So an odd game for the Wizards defensively. Also an odd game for the Wizards offensively. On the one hand, the Wizards went 17 of 37 on threes. But on the other hand, the Wizards went just 22 of 54 on twos. And like I said, got outscored in the paint by 38 points. So on Wednesday night, the Wizards shot the three well, defended the three well, but still lost because the Wizards in the paint just got destroyed by the Pacers. Uh, This was an odd game for Kyle Kuzma. Kuzma, 6-12 on threes, but just 3-15 on twos. Uh, Kuzma epitomized what went on with the Wizards offensively on Wednesday night. Very good on threes, very bad on twos. Kuzma finished with 26 points, 15 rebounds, and 6 assists versus 3 turnovers in 38-04 as a starter. I'm not sure if you call that a good game or a bad game for Kuzma. Uh, 6-12 on threes, 26 points, 15 rebounds, 6 assists. All of that's really nice, but 3-15 of on twos. Uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, he went 5-8 of on threes, but just 4-10 on twos, finished with 27 points, 3 steals, and 3 rebounds, and 34-11 as a starter. So Kuzma and KCP on Wednesday night, a combined 11-20 on threes. That's great, uh, but also a combined 7-25 of on twos. Uh, that's terrible. Uh, Corey Kispert, had a bad game. Corey Kispert is one of the young guys who you want to see develop as this Wizards season goes on, but he on Wednesday night in 30-26 as a starter went just one of six on threes, had one assist versus five turnovers, and committed four fouls. He finished with nine points and four rebounds. Denny Avdia, though, was good. Again, uh, Avdia's been playing well lately. Avdia on Wednesday night, 31-46 off the bench, two of five on threes, three of six on twos. He finished with 14 points and seven rebounds. Uh, Also good for the Wizards were their point guards. Uh, Hul Neto was the Wizards' starting point guard for a fourth consecutive game. He went two of two on threes, finished with 10 points, eight assists versus no turnovers, two steals, and two rebounds in exactly 33 minutes as a starter. Is Smith in 2044 off the bench, five and nine from the field, all twos. He finished with 10 points, four assists, versus one turnover, and three rebounds. And Ish was responsible for the highlight of the night, from a Wizards perspective, a great two-handed putback slam in the fourth quarter. Understand, Ish Smith rarely dunks, so when he does dunk, it's a big deal. He did dunk on Wednesday night, and uh, that was impressive. Next up for the Wizards at the Brooklyn Nets, Thursday night at 7.30. Well, at this point with Georgetown, for me, anyway, there's a morbid fascination with just how bad things can get. I went to Maryland, so I am first and foremost a fan of the Terrapins, but I've never been some hater of Georgetown. My dad went to Georgetown Medical School. I grew up rooting for both Maryland and Georgetown, and I still root for Maryland and Georgetown, so long as Georgetown's interests do not conflict with Maryland's interests. Uh, This Georgetown season, of course, has been an all-time bad season for the Hoyas. Patrick Ewing is not lasting beyond this season as Hoyas head coach. I think that everyone knows that at this point. And so what's truly left to see is just how bad things get. And on Wednesday night, things got worse. Georgetown fell to 6-19 and overall and 0-14 in the Big East with a 77-66 loss at Marquette. The Hoyas lost their 15th consecutive game. The Hoyas, in falling to 0-14 in the Big East, gained sole possession of the fifth worst start 
in Big East play in a season in conference history. Uh, the Hoyas defense, which is abysmal, was atrocious in the first half on Wednesday night. The Hoyas lost the first half 48-31. The Hoyas allowed Marquette in the first half to go 10 of 21 on threes. The Hoyas allowed Marquette in the first half to go 7 of 12 on twos. Now, the Hoyas did win the second half 35-29, holding Marquette to just 2 of 12 on threes in the second half. But whatever, the game was over by then. Hoyas now, as we speak, on this Thursday, just 252nd out of 358 teams in Division I this season in adjusted defensive efficiency for KenPalm.com. Adjusted defensive efficiency is points allowed per 100 possessions adjusted for opponents. Uh, the Hoyas on Wednesday night, 11-33 on threes. Okay, you can live with that, but uh, the Hoyas on Wednesday night, also a putrid 9-36 of 36 on twos, and thus got outscored in the paint 34-16. I'm not sure who was worse in the paint on Wednesday night, the Wizards or the Hoyas. Uh, 6-5, five-star freshman Amina Muhammad for the Hoyas on Wednesday night. One of three on threes, but a horrendous two of 16 on twos. Yeah, two of 16 on twos. He finished with 13 points, 17 rebounds, including eight offensive boards, two steals, and two blocks in 35 minutes as a starter. Look, 17 rebounds, that's impressive. But you got to remember, the Hoyas missed so many shots on Wednesday night that there were many rebound opportunities for Georgetown players. Uh, Caden Rice on Wednesday night, just one of seven on threes in 17 minutes off the bench. Uh, three Hoya starters, Donald Carey, Dante Harris, and Colin Holloway combined Nine of 22 on threes. That was good. Combined for 13 assists versus four turnovers. That was pretty good. Each had four rebounds. Okay, fine. But overall, things continue to not go well for the Hoyas. And here's something to be mindful of right now if you're a Georgetown fan. So there were two promising freshmen in particular coming into the season for the Hoyas. Amino Muhammad and the seven foot two big man, Ryan Matumbo, who, yes, is the son of legendary Georgetown player, Dikembe Mutombo. Muhammad starts every game, plays a bunch every game. You know, he has not necessarily been the game changer that he was supposed to be, but he has been among Georgetown's better players this season. That is true. And he is a freshman. He could end up being a really good player for the Hoyas. Hopefully he is. Ryan Mutombo now isn't playing for the Hoyas. In this, a lost season, Ryan Mutombo isn't playing. He on Wednesday night was a DNPCD for a second consecutive game. Here you have as your head coach, one of the great big men in college basketball history, right? Patrick Ewing. Here you have Ryan Matumbo, the son of one of the other great big men in Georgetown history, Dikembe Matumbo, as a freshman on a team that's going nowhere this season, right? 0-14 in the Big East. And yet, for whatever reason, Ryan Matumbo, a DNP CD for a second consecutive game. Next up for Georgetown at number 10, Villanova. Saturday evening at 5. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 254, will feature much more on the Commanders. Also, a post game games on Thursday night for the Capitals and the Wizards. The Caps will be at the Philadelphia Flyers Thursday night at 7. The Wizards will be at the Brooklyn Nets 
Thursday night at 7.30. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. You look terrible. Once a day. Once you to rest well in the month from now, this Hollywood big shot's going to give you what you want. It's too late. They start shooting in a week. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com